I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what are the fair expectations for the Bucs this season? Is anything short of playing in the NFC championship game to be viewed as a failure? And what positions might the Bucs target in the NFL draft this year? Do the Tampa Bay Rays need to add another reliever out of their bullpen and what is the reason for the lightning's recent slide we've got your mailbag questions answered 100 correctly on this edition of sports day tampa bay i'm rick stroud of the tampa bay times along with producer steve versnick got some really good mailbag uh, questions today steve looking forward to just jumping right into them opening day just two days away now for the race two days hard to believe on that one so oh man we're gonna start with some bucks questions first though so uh, Anuti asked, what is the number one thing the Bucks can, team can do to avoid having a repeat of the 2003 season where they stumbled to a 7-9 and nine season after winning the Super Bowl? You know, it's interesting. I did a story on this uh, pretty soon after they won the Super Bowl, uh, and I mean this year's team, and, and, and referred back to the 03 season. I talked to Brad Johnson. I talked to Warren Sapp. Um, obviously, it's a different time and totally different players. And, you know, I think the O2 team had been building, building, building. Uh, and then, then of course they, they won the Super Bowl. Uh, the next off season, which was a much longer one than what they have these days, you know, went very well. According to Brad Johnson, you know, everybody put in the work, everybody was focused. They had an extra preseason game in Japan, which was quite a, quite a trip for them, uh, to start the year. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of attention, as you would expect the Super Bowl champion to have. They didn't get to start at home. They had to go to Philadelphia. They won up there. I think injuries were a big part of that year because in the second game against Carolina, which they lost in horrific fashion, uh, 10 to 9 on three blocked kicks in overtime, uh, they also lost or began to, began to lose Mike Allstott and Joe Jervis on the same play, essentially. So injuries were a big part of it. Um, but the biggest thing, and this was, you know, Brad Johnson, this sort of it depends on who you ask because Johnson said, look, you know, some things happened during the year. The wheels kind of fell off. Uh, we weren't the same team. We got, you know, we had a bunch of injuries, which we documented. They, they had some weird games. You know, that one against Carolina, the, the, the big comeback, the greatest fourth quarter comeback on Monday night history down, uh, you know, the Bucks were up 21 against uh, Tony Dungy's Colts in his first return back to Raymond James, and they lost that game. Uh, so, you know, there, there, were some, there were some quirky things about the season itself. But Warren Sapp told me, he goes, look, man, he goes, we, we were just in no way prepared to be the hunted. And he said, there's a difference. You know, when you're the Bucks and, and you're out there, no one, no one expects much, whatever. They had good teams for years, but they were the ones hunting the Green Bay Packers. They were hunting – uh, you know, the St. Louis Rams, they they were the team trying to get over that hump, the Philadelphia Eagles, which had been their nemesis and where their postseason had always, you know, ended right there in Philly. So, you know, they, they kind of turned the tables and then they became the hunted. And he said, he goes, man, he goes, this is Sap, you know, was talking about how, uh, 
they didn't have the leadership and, and, and he wasn't rapping on Derek Brooks or himself. You know, there's a lot of leaders on that team, John Lynch and others, but he just said, you know, we couldn't pull it all together. Like, you know, everybody had a radio show. Everybody wanted to get paid. Uh, you know, it just changed, you know, the personality of the team changed a little bit and they were sort of rudderless, you know, and what he said, what Sap said about looking at this year's team and their effort to repeat is two words, Tom Brady. He goes, listen, you know, Tom Brady is not going to allow any of those guys to become, you know, uh, less than a hundred percent focused. Um, they're going to have to do, you know, what they did last year and more, um, he, uh, he knows what it's like to be the, on top. He knows what it's like. He's the last quarterback to actually successfully defend a Super Bowl title. And, you know, you didn't lose any players, you know, the Bucks lost a few players as well. So you got to have luck. Look, every year is different. It, it, let's not, let's not be naive. There's a reason why teams don't repeat. It's hard to win one, extremely hard to win a game in the NFL. And that was something that Brad Johnson mentioned is that, you know, just to win a game is tough. Uh, with the with all the the competitive balance and and that sort of thing and you know the Bucks will be playing uh, if they played five primetime games last year I would think they'd have that or more you know coming back as defending Super Bowl champions with Tom Brady so there's going to be a lot of of uh, of variables but Brady has has successfully done this before and he you know like we've had the story where he called you know, Clyde Christensen the day after the Super Bowl by like 8 a.m. in the morning and was already talking about what they can do in 2021, what they could do better. So you can already sort of feel the focus and know um, what his expectations are always a Super Bowl or bust. And I think the fact that all the same players came back, um, so many of them free agents, to have 22 starters back off that team tells you they enjoy playing here. They've accepted their roles, you hope. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But um, I, I just think I think it was really tough. The injuries were the biggest part of the story. But if you listen to Gruden, you know, that was also the – or uh, Brad Johnson. But that was also the year also at the end of the season. You had Keyshawn getting deactivated. You had Rich McKay, um, of all people, ended up going from, you know, being the GM of the Bucks to the GM of the Atlanta Falcons the week before they were to play the Bucks. And and the Falcons beat them. Um, so there's a lot of screwy things that were going on in terms of ego and power and, and all that that uh, wound up sort of making it a, a much harder thing. All right, Les asked, so Rick, what are the fair expectations for this 21 Bucks team? Repeating as champ seems to be the goal, but as you've outlined before, how difficult that is to do. Is it unfair to say anything short of playing for an NFC championship would be viewed as a failure? See, here's where I come down on this, and, and, I, and I said this before the start of last season. Somebody asked me, is it Super Bowl or bust? And my answer was yes. Um, you, don't, you don't go all in to get Tom Brady, to get Rob Gronkowski, to trade, you know, to, to claim Leonard Fournette, uh, I mean, all those things. You don't do what they did for anything less than winning the Super Bowl. Now, you know, given the 30,000 foot perspective of a franchise that went 18 years without winning a playoff game and a dozen years without even being in the playoffs, then you could say, well, you know, had they just reached the championship game or got, you know, reached the playoffs like that, that certainly is progress. Right. But 
everything has to be viewed in the prism of Tom Brady, what Tom Brady represents, what he brings to a franchise, um, even this year. And, you know, one thing they did this year that they didn't have to do last year, that is mortgage the future. I mean, to a degree that they have never done in, you know, before and probably won't since because it's Tom Brady, because he's 44 years old, because you don't know if he's going to play that extra year that he just signed on for. So, you know, they're putting all their chips on the table. They've paid enormous amount of cash in terms of signing bonuses in order to, you know, push some of that guaranteed money up front so that they can, um, you know, add voidable years and things like that to lower the salary cap for 2021. So to me, even more so than last year, it's Super Bowl or bust because you have you always have a singular goal to win a Super Bowl title. I mean, that's the, every team, all 32 start out that way. But realistically, there's maybe five to six teams in total in both conferences that really have a have a chance, to be honest with you. Every now and then somebody will come out of the weeds, but you can pretty much within, you know, if, if I gave you six teams, you would probably name two of the Super Bowl teams every year. You know, if you just looked at the field and said, you know, I'll give you six teams, three in the NFC, three in the AFC, and I'd probably get the two Super Bowl teams. So that said, the Bucks are certainly won every preseason ranking. It, they are at the top that I've seen. Um, no reason to expect uh, anything less when you have this many players coming back, when you have Todd. Here's the other key. They didn't lose any coaches. They didn't lose coordinators. A lot of Super Bowl teams do. You know, you've, you've got Byron Leftwich, who's – a year more experience with Tom Brady and and in his third year now as a play caller. You have Todd Bowles and all the players that have adapted to his very complex scheme. You have Devin White and, and guys like Sean Murphy Bunting ascending as players. So, you know, even though some of these guys are a year older, they're all a year older, but some of them at the very ends of their careers, like in Damakon Sue and Gronkowski and others, I still think the expectations are just as high and probably higher simply because you did you already won it with this group. So, why would you why would you expect or settle for anything less? And yeah, could, could they get to the championship game and lose in in dramatic fashion and you go, "Oh man, that was really tough that came so close?" Yeah, and, and I don't know that everybody would would not like that ride. I think I think people would be happy to see them make it back to the NFC Championship game. They'd be disappointed they didn't get to Los Angeles for the Super Bowl. But you know, I still think there will be that, oh, but, you know, um, the expectations probably more than any other franchise in the NFL, with the exception of perhaps Kansas City next year, is going to be that the Bucks are going to go to the Super Bowl. And if they don't, it's disappointing. So I, I hate to put that pressure on them. It's already there. They put it on themselves. But again, 44-year-old Tom Brady, there's not much sand in the hourglass, even for him. And I don't care how much TB12 or avocado, you know, ice cream he eats or any of that, you know, he's definitely, you know, on the last few holes of his career. So I think it is Super Bowl or bust. And that's, and I think they would tell you that. All right. Octavius asks, will the Bucks still be active in free agency? Do you think they're deep enough at the edge rusher position? We're just one injury away from becoming an average defense at that position. Yeah, I, I think, I think at this point they're probably uh, done with respect to, uh, you know, the first round of free agency, look, there's going to be a draft that they are now turning their attention fully to the draft. 
I know Antonio Brown is still out there. They've talked to his agent. They don't seem to be very close on anything. Um, that can change. We, we said that a couple weeks ago about Leonard Fournette, and he got a deal, although, as you can see, it wasn't a, a, a big market deal. It was $3.5 million, which I'm sure he was hoping and expecting a whole hell of a lot more. Um, the same could be true with Antonio Brown. So could they get Brown back? Yes, perhaps. Um, you know, they still have to re-sign a backup quarterback, which I would assume would be Blaine Gabbert. There's going to be some pieces added here or there. But then after the draft, there's always a secondary free there's always a secondary wave of free agency because what happens is these teams uh, you know, will will draft a player at a position and suddenly um they'll be too top heavy. They'll have, you know, maybe too many quarterbacks or maybe too many tight ends or too many wide receivers. And, you know, you'll see guys getting released uh, that that can help either in depth or maybe as a starter. And I don't think there's many starting jobs left here, um, but I definitely could see them picking up a free agent or two. Again, it, they're not going to have any sour cap money. They're deferring everything to future years anyway. But, you know, if the right player were out there, I could see them adding an edge rusher. I could see them adding an interior uh, defensive lineman. You know, uh, you know, we had Steve McClendon. Steve McClendon last year is somebody they traded for with Miami. He's a free agent. Um, you could use another guy like that to to help with, you know, some of the reps with Sue and uh, William Golston and Vita Vea if you have an injury inside. So they are very thin at, at, at certain positions. I think the draft, though, will determine some of that because, you know, obviously if you, if you draft a guy in the first round that's an interior defensive lineman, then you don't have maybe the need for a veteran. You know, they they lost the safety in Andrew Adams. You know, they need that veteran safety that can back up uh, those two young guys. And we saw Jordan Whitehead get hurt last year. We saw um, Antoine Winfield Jr. get hurt and couldn't play in the championship game. So where would you be uh, without, you know, a guy like Andrew Adams who who left via free agency? So I do think that there's going to be more players signed. I just don't know that it's going to be guys that that knock your socks off. All right, Ellis asks, with the first phase of free agency winding down, who should the Bucks target in round one of the NFL draft? Well, this one this one gets me because, uh, one, like everybody else, we're turning to the draft now because we've just been through free agency. The hardest thing, it, it's, a, it's a blessed curse at the same time. When you pick 32nd in the league, it means you won the Super Bowl. So you'd like to pick 32nd every year. But I'm here to tell you, as you saw just last week with the unpredictability and, and you know, the 49ers making a huge trade, giving up future first round picks to get to number three in the draft, presumably to take a quarterback, what that means to the draft, what that means for Jimmy Garoppolo, all of that. It's very difficult to, to really know who's going to be available in the top 10, much less at 32. So, um, you know, I would just say that they have areas of need. And if, if the, you know, they always say this every year, they go, well, we drafted the best available player. What they really mean is we drafted the best available player at our biggest need. And so, you know, last year they needed an offensive tackle. Now, good for them. They couldn't have found a better one. I assure you, you know, Jason Light was aggressive. He moved up, uh, got Tristan Wirfs and goodness, this guy had as good a rookie year as anybody in football. And, and I, and I mean that I've covered the NFL a long time. I've never seen a guy come into the league with these feet, um, you know, give up one sack the entire year. He should have made the Pro Bowl, in my opinion. Uh, and he looks like, you know, if he were able to do this for ten or twelve years, he'd be he put on a, he'd put on a gold jacket before his career is over. So you got him, you got Antoine Winfield, 
Um, you know, you have all these guys that, uh, you know, that look like great players played a lot last year, even the Tyler Johnson's, I think you're going to get a lot more out of him, you know, in future years. And so, you know, I would just look at where they have veteran players. You know, you always need ed rush, edge rushers. You know, I know they re-signed Shaq Barrett to a long-term deal. Um, you know, in reality, you can look at that deal as a four-year deal or or just look at the two years, really, that's guaranteed and say, you know, he might be out of here soon. Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, same thing, you know, down to his final year of, of the contract he signed a year ago. Um, you know, guy that's 33, you get, you know, Indomitian Sue's a year to your guy. So interior defensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, because I think Ryan Jensen's in his last year. They re-signed Ali Marpet. They got to deal with Alex Kappa soon. Um, you know, you can't have enough of those guys. We saw what happened to Kansas City when they lost, you know, their tackles. You know, the, the Bucks re-signed Josh Wells. They could use another tackle. Um, you know, they, they did extend the contract of Donovan Smith, and Werfs is solid. But I think interior offensive alignment, interior defensive alignment, I think linebacker is, is a spot where you could get better at. Um, you know, not just the edge rushers, but also, you know, Levante David essentially has a two-year deal. At some point, uh, he's not going to out, you know, career Devin White. You're going to need another young guy to come in there and and replace you know, replace Levante David and or if he gets hurt. Now they re-signed Kevin Minter, who's a who's a great veteran piece to have for that purpose. Um, but you could use a younger player there. Running back is the one that intrigues me, especially at 32. Uh, whether it's Travis Etienne, I mean, you you know, you've got um, you know, all kinds of, of, of good running backs through the years because of the position and it's been devalued, get get pushed down in, at the bottom of the draft for whatever reason. And like I said, Ronald Jones, final year of his rookie deal. Uh, they signed Leonard Fournette to a one-year deal. So essentially, your running backs, first two running backs, could be gone by twenty, you know, twenty twenty-two. So uh, those are the spots. Uh, I I definitely think edge rusher. I think interior defensive line, um, perhaps even linebacker. You know, they're good on the offense at receiver, at tight end. Um, you know, interior offensive line they need, but you know. It's such a crapshoot with respect to players and who's going to be there. Um, check back with me in about three or four weeks when we've done the mock drafts, and I'll give you a better idea. But I think you should focus on those positions. One more draft question, and Brian asked, what is more likely to happen, the Bucks trade up in the first round to get a player or trade down to get more picks in this draft? You know, I've thought about this, and traditionally 32 is a phenomenal place to do either. Um, but especially if you're able, if you're comfortable trading down, because the way the draft works, you know, they just have one round on the first day. And the advantage you have, if you've got a number of players that you're good with, um, very often there's a team that either didn't have a first round pick or maybe they had a high first round pick and they see their guy still on the board and they don't want to wait till the second round. They want to get them now. And sometimes you can make some really good deals if you're at that 32 position before the night ends. It does a couple of things. One, like I said, you have it depends on how far you're moving down. If you're moving down a spot or two or even three and there's three or four players you'd be very happy with, then you make the deal and you pick up some extra draft picks. And the other thing you get to do is you get to spend the night really evaluating, looking at tape, looking at your options, fielding phone calls from other teams because let's say you move to 33. Let's you know. Let, let's say you have the first pick in the second round because you moved down a spot. 
you're going to get a lot of calls and, and, and people doing the same thing saying, hey, our guy is still there. Let's go up and get him. Now, uh, the caveat to all of this is what we say all the time. Two words, Tom Brady. Okay. Understand this. There, th- as much as you want to draft and develop players for the future, this is also very much about the present. Uh, you know, they need to draft people that's going to help them win right now. And we saw that last year with Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield and their first two picks. And I think you'll see it again. You know, how much draft capital do you really need? You know, you're trying to win now. So it's about the player, not the picks. And so I would just say that if there's a player there that can help them this year and they're comfortable with it as they were with Wirfs and Winfield, um, then, then I think they take the player. But if you're not moving back too far and there's a number of players you think can help you um, at 33, 34, 35, whatever you move back to, then it's a terrific trading place. And the, and the Patriots have done it for years um, when they had Tom Brady and they won for years. So it's a very interesting place to uh, to pick. And um, for that reason, uh, having said all that, I think they make a pick. I think they make a pick because I think there's going to be a good player there that they can use right away. And I think the temptation uh, isn't as great when you're dealing with a team that has 22 returning starters, not many spots even for depth uh, to help your football team. And if you find a player at 32 that can help you now, I think they probably make the pick. All right, John asked, with Antonio Brown's civil trial slated for December, is it a possibility the Bucks front office doesn't want the distraction which could ensue from a suspension that he might face? Or has the league already finished its investigation? They haven't really. I mean, in terms of investigation, I think that will continue as long as they're in the discovery phase uh, of this civil suit that is pushed back now to December and may may get delayed again. Who knows? I think it's remarkable he's managed to not only make it through 2020, but now ostensibly may make it through 2021. I haven't had anybody with the Bucks tell me that they're worried about that. Um, you know, they'll cross that bridge when they get to it. You know, clearly if there's discovery comes out and get closer to the trial, you know, we saw this with Jameis Winston. Um, you know, he he played a whole year under investigation, and when they got to the next offseason in June, uh, they hit him with the three-game suspension. But but the actual incident occurred the previous season. Um, so a lot of it depends on when that discovery tumbles out, and they do their own research, and they are – the NFL is looking into all those allegations against Antonio Brown. They don't have to wait for a trial. Um or a settlement so they can do what they want. But I still think that it's, you know, the case hasn't really progressed enough to, to create a lot of discovery about it. And so, you know, there hasn't been much in the media. I, I, I tend to think that the bucks are not focused on that with Brown and, and look, they've got a lot of receivers and a lot of depth at that position as well. At this point, I think Antonio Brown is a luxury, you know, last year, um, they got scared, and rightfully so. They they went to Chicago. Mike Evans shouldn't have played. He played. He wasn't effective. Chris Godwin got hurt in that game, and they said to themselves, "What do we do if we lose both these receivers? You know, we, we've got to have we've got to have more depth again because we've got Tom Brady, and we're all in to win. So you know, Brown was out there. He came off the eight game suspension at the right time for them, and they went out and and you know. Bruce Arians had been on record saying he thought he was too much of a diva that he really didn't want him on his football team. Well, he he rethought that with the help of Brady and others. And Jason Light 
went ahead and, and made the signing, and it turned out to be the right one. He guy caught a Super Bowl uh, touchdown in the Super Bowl and was very effective against Washington in the playoffs and you know, really would help them again next year. They simply, from what my understanding is, much like it was with Burnett a few weeks ago, they can't come to an agreement. And, you know, there's so many receivers out there and the running back market dried up pretty quickly because a lot of those running backs went back to their former teams and didn't, you know, create openings for Leonard Fournette. So he went back to his former team. The same could be true with with Brown. If he's not signed before the draft, I think it's going to be hard for Antonio Brown to really find that perfect landing spot because the the the, the depth of receiver again in this draft is really is really big. And, you know, teams that have a needed receiver are probably going to address it. Now, if there's one that doesn't, um, you could possibly see them, you know, reaching out if they think they're a Super Bowl contender and getting Brown if they have relationships. But that's the key. Uh, You know, Tom Brady has that relationship. B.A. has that relationship. Uh, Byron Leftwich has that relationship. Larry Foote, all those guys. Uh, And so I, I think you know, they're a little more comfortable than maybe some other team would be. So um, that's a long way of saying I don't think the civil trial is going to affect Brown until at best late in the year and maybe not at all. And I do think that he's still in the mix for the Bucks, but I don't see a lot of momentum for him right now. It, it may be, you know, it may be down the road a ways. Let's ask, Rick, does Levante David have a shot at the Hall of Fame? His numbers through the first eight years of his career are on par with guys like Ray Lewis. What he's lacking, though, is Pro Bowls. Not a first ballot guy, but the Super Bowl has to help, right? Yeah, Super Bowls help. You know, it's weird. Um, I've been in that room uh, when they voted. I had a vote one year as an at-large voter, and the politics are are enormous there. Um, you know, I what's going to be interesting is Lamonte still playing. Um, you know, there's going to be other players at his position that come up for the Hall of Fame that may not have his numbers. And what I mean by that, I mean, you know, not just sheer tackles, but, you know, tackles for loss and sacks and interceptions and fumble recoveries and forced fumbles. One of those guys is Luke Keekley. And Luke Keekley, you know, retired because he was, you know, concussed a lot. And so he, he, they were both drafted the same draft. In fact, the Bucks could have taken Keekley instead of Levante David. Um, you know, if they were committed to doing that, they could have done that in the first round instead of waiting to the second round to address it. So, you know, Keekley, I think in a lot of people's minds is a, a, a possible, not a first ballot, but a very possible hall of fame player. Now he didn't win a super bowl. Um, he certainly went to one, you know, Zach Thomas got some votes for the hall of fame a year ago. He didn't win a super bowl, but he certainly, you know, was was a terrific player for a lot of years in Miami. It just depends. I I don't think the Pro Bowls will help him. Uh, you know, they look for things like all-decade teams. He doesn't have that. Uh, certainly he doesn't have the Pro Bowls or the All-Pros, which is not necessarily his fault, but it's still, it's still one of those boxes that they check. Um, we all know Levante David's been one of the best linebackers in this league for years and years, and he went nine seasons until he made the postseason one time. If he makes it again, wins another Super Bowl, has a big, you know, people are just discovering him, which is ironic, right, at 31 years old or whatever. But he's been great for years. His numbers, if he played, and I don't know that he can do this, but if he played another four to five years 
there's a chance he could catch Derek Brooks with with tackles and things like that, and and the other numbers would be very similar. And and think about what I'm saying here. Derek Brooks is a first ballot Hall of Fame player, but he he went to a ton of Pro Bowls and was on the All Decade team and all of that. So you know that's that's certainly gonna gonna hurt Levante, but he may make a run at it. I I think it's gonna be hard. He, he's definitely gonna be in the Bucks Ring of Honor, um, and his credentials. What would help him, believe it or not would be if a guy like Luke Keekley made it. And Keekley had a lot more Pro Bowls, and, and I don't know if he is an all-decade player or not. I'd have to check on that. But, um, boy, those guys right now are very, very similar, and Levante will surpass him just by his longevity. So um, I, I, I think he's borderline. I don't, I don't know that he's a Hall of Fame player yet, but I, I, it'll, be a, it'll be an interesting argument when, uh, when he gets to that point. All right, we'll switch gears here, and Carl asks, should the Rays make a trade for a quality reliever? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> well, thanks for hanging up and listening. We'll be right back after this commercial message. Um, you know, Steve, I, I'm willing to give these guys a chance. You know, it seems like every year somebody comes on the scene and, you know, they made the trade for Nick Anderson, and he was lights out, you know, after they got him, of course. And you're definitely going to miss him. You know, but whether it's it's uh, Pete Fairbanks or somebody else, you know, it seems like every year you, you, you're not necessarily looking for the guy to get the last three outs, although that's what the job that's what the job is. But sometimes those leverage moments come in the eighth inning or the seventh inning and, and cash manages accordingly. At this point, I don't I don't know they have to make a deal for someone. And, you know, the hope is that they maybe they get Anderson back after the, you know, later in the season. I'm willing to give them a shot between what they have in the big leagues and what they have sent down uh, to the minor leagues. They they have a lot of depth out of their bullpen. It was the strength of their team a year ago. I thought it's going to have to be the strength of their team this year. After, you know, especially when you you trade guys like Blake Snell and uh, Charlie Morton and whatnot. Uh, you don't know. You know, you're not going to have maybe that. Even though they have a rotation, and you know. We know who they are, and and there's you know they're about four deep. You know you may have four actual starters, and maybe the, every fifth day uh, an opener. We'll see what they do if Archer starts or if they open for him or whatnot. Uh, same is true with Walker and Hill and those guys. But I, I, I'm not I'm not sure that I would would say right now that that you have to go out and do something. But it may come to it. I mean, it certainly is a concern. It's not what you planned. You really felt comfortable with a guy like Nick Anderson. Um, and it's somebody's gonna have to, it's somebody's opportunity, you know, somebody's gonna have to step up and, and seize it. And I think they got the arms that, that somebody will. I, I look, I think Eric Neander and, and their crew over there were probably looking to trade for relievers before Nick Anderson got hurt. Probably. I, mean, I think they're, all, they're always looking at who's available, mm-hmm. you know, and what we would have to give up for them. And, and they have, you know, they put values on players and, and what, you know, what yep. works. Yep. The question is, you know, what quality relievers are out there for available for True. a reasonable price? I mean, you know, the Rays do have depth in their lineup in, in the field this year where they could trade for relievers if they could. But who's available is the other question. That's um, a great point. You know, it's a difference in trading for a reliever and a quality reliever, as Carl asked for. So, right. It's um, a great point. You know, no question that, that the Rays are always looking at, you know, who they can acquire mm-hmm. um, and guys that maybe don't have the stats or aren't quite performing to the expectations and the race see something they can tweak and fix and and you know that's what they do 
Um, you know, the, the old joke is if the Rays are calling about a prospect, run. You know, figure figure out what you're doing wrong with that what prospect. We, what, what, what did we not see? Right. I don't want to do business with you. Yeah. Well, isn't that true of the, of the St. Louis Cardinals right about now? Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. What what, what Somebody, are we missing, Randy? Is some somebody needs to pull that card on a Rosarena and say, "Hey, um, did did we see what they saw? And why didn't we? That had to hurt." Uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure it does for the Cardinals. So. Oh yeah. All right. AJ asked. Can someone unplug the lightning and plug them back in? <laughs> Jokes aside, the team should be fine once they get McDonough and Chernak back, right? <laughs> I think so. I think they'll be just fine. I, you know, I, it, it's a great position to be in when if you manage to lose two in a row um, and give up a lot of shots, take a lot of penalty minutes, but two of your top defensemen, um, you know, are out at the time that this occurs. There seems to be a little bit of a cause and effect there. We talked about the the fatigue factor is is real as well. Um, I'm I'm not going to panic just yet. I don't think you should. You you know you still have the best goaltender in the planet. Maybe maybe that's sometimes too much of a luxury um, for them. They they lose their structure. They get frustrated. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for why those games went from two to nothing in the first to losing four to three, but it is just two losses. They're still at the top of the standings. They're going to make the playoffs. You say this every time we talk about the lightning and it's true, Steve, that, you know, they're one of the best teams in NHL. They'll finish that way and they'll have as good a chance to go back to the Stanley cup as any team that's going to be involved. Now it just so happens this year with the change of divisions, they found themselves who knew in the toughest one, um, you know, Carolina's on nipping at their heels. Florida is right there as well. Um, you know, Dallas, played them in the Stanley Cup Finals last year, and they're trying to get things back together. Chicago has improved. Uh, you know, Detroit's probably out of it, but they, they've certainly gotten better each each week. So, you know, it, it's not like they're playing uh, a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of bad hockey teams. They're they're really in a, in a tight division with, I mean, these records are unbelievable of, the, of Carolina, of Florida, and, the, and Tampa Bay. So, you know, that's that's part of it, too. Night after night, the same teams over and over again. You're the hunted. Uh, we talked about that with the Bucks earlier. You know, you're the team that everyone's measuring themselves against. You get their best shot every night. So all of that is part of it. Now, let them lose two or three more this way. If they can't change their structure and they can't get back to playing, we know they can play good defense because we saw them completely shut down the, the Dallas, you know, stars one night with one shot in the whole in a whole period. So, they can definitely play better around Vassy, um, but I'm I'm willing to wait until they get those guys healthy again. I, I think we talked about fatigue, and and something happened Monday that shows you how much that might. For the last week, the coaches have talked about nothing except we get to Monday, we have a practice day because mm-hmm. Sunday was an off day. Monday they can have a full practice, you know, work on all the things that have crept into their game. And, you know, Derek Lalonde, the assistant coach, said, if we go over everything that we've talked about for the last three weeks in practice, it's going to be a six-hour practice. You know, that many things that they want to, to, to reiterate and, and get back to doing, you know, and a lot of these things are little things, but it's, you know, you work on those things in practice, and they really haven't had a practice day. They just got finished playing 15 games in 23 days, which is not normal for hockey at all. No. So they have this practice day. The first time in weeks they've had a practice day. What did they do today? They canceled practice. 
They gave the players a second day in a row mm. off, which shows you how much that they valued rest over that practice day that they've been talking about for a week or at least a week now publicly, probably longer than that internally, in that they felt that on Monday that, you know what, we're better off giving the players so you- another day off and we'll have a full morning skate on, on Tuesday before the game against the Blue Jackets. If you don't think fatigue is a factor this Check year, one, two. it absolutely is. Now, the Lightning schedule lightens up a little bit going forward. And I say a little bit. It's still he- more hectic than normal. But you're not having that five games in seven days or the eight and 13 or the 15 and 23. It gets a little more normal you know, going forward now mm-hmm. as they've kind of caught up with the rest of the league now. So, But you know I, that fatigue is, is real this year in the NHL. And the coaches are talking about it all over the place. You know, hockey's not a sport that's designed to be played this much. No. The wear and tear on, you know, we talk about in the NFL, how those Thursday games are tough on players. Mm-hmm. That you basically don't practice because your body hasn't even healed yet from Sunday. Right. You know, the, the amount of physical wear and tear on your body. Mm-hmm. Well, hockey players, which are used to playing three, occasionally four games a day, are now playing four, occasionally five games a week or a week, not a day. That's a That's a huge increase. And it, yes. it's, and I think you're seeing it on the ice. And then, you know, then, and you lose your top defensive pair, McDonough and Chernak. And we talked about this yesterday where, you know, now Victor Hedman, instead of taking a lot of minutes that aren't the most critical defensively, starting power play or penalty kills and in defensive zone faceoffs, he's going to take, le- he takes less of those normally. He's got to take more now. Mm-hmm. And Sergachev's increasing their role and everything else. So, yeah, they let 2 0 lead slip. It's at the end of 15 and 23 days. They're missing their, their best two defensive defensemen. And, and they're in the middle of a season where they're doing really well and losing two games in a row. You know, John Cooper t- said it. He said, you know, we lose two in a row and everyone's like, oh, my goodness, this, you know, the world's falling apart. But he goes, I mm-hmm. like the fact that when we lose two in a row, people are wondering what's wrong. That's a good yeah, thing. That is. means we're good. That, that's a good thing. That, you know, I like it that it's that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that they lose to I mean, everybody loses two in a row in a season. Everybody. I, I also think that that of all years, like th- there is a mental grind to this season. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, you didn't you didn't really, you know, last year was so screwed up that they didn't really. It seems like they just got done playing in a bubble and winning the Stanley Cup that they were back on the ice again. So the team that wins the Stanley Cup plays the longest. So there's that the turnaround. But but also, you know, nothing is normal. These guys go on the road. They can't go out. Um, they're sequestered in hotels. Yeah, you look around the league, and the road records are seem to be significantly lower than normal mm-hmm. for most teams. Mm-hmm. That the home, the home without fans in a lot of these buildings, or very limited fans, home ice is very important this season. Really interesting. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot going on. But you know, again, I, I wouldn't want to. If you were picking the Lightning or the Field, you could always say the Field just because your numbers are better, but. Mm-hmm. You can't discount this Lightning team. And look, we don't know. You know, Julian Breesbaugh may do something, too. You know, he he did things a year ago. Um, I don't know what their cap situation is or what, what the flexibility they have there, if at all. I do, wa- I do wonder. There is a part of me, Steve, that wonders, though, whether it's structure or whatever, if their defense is good enough around Vassie. I know Vassie's terrific, and he can mm-hmm. win you games by himself. But I do wonder that if, if there was an area you could add if it wouldn't be on, on that back line. Look, they have zero cap space. Right. And Julian Breezebois said this. If they're going to make a move, it's got to be money out for money in. 
money in. It's right? not like last year where you could trade a prospect and bring Blake Coleman in. Right. Trade a pro, you know, picks to get Barclay Goodrow. You, mm-hmm. you cannot do that this year. It has to be money out for money in. So whatever mm-hmm. trades you make, which very much limits you in this in this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the biggest need on this team is depth defenseman. And we talked about this yesterday. From last year's team, you lost Kevin Shattenkirk, who started. You lost Zach Bogosian, who started once they picked him up at the trade deadline when he was cut by Buffalo. And and uh, Brayden Coburn, who you know played some early as the season got on. And once they got Bogosian, he was a little less, but a depth guy. You lost those three, and you replaced with Andreas Borgman and Cal Foote, who coming into the season combined had 48 games of NHL experience. You know, Zach Bogosian mm. has 12 years of experience. Luke Shen, or uh, um, Kevin Shattenkirk's played for a long time in this league. You lost a ton of experience. Braden Coburn, you lost a ton of experience on that back end, and particularly in your depth. And so it's being challenged right now with McDonough and Chernak out. And they're both supposed to be short-term. Hopefully they're back tonight, or maybe it's Thursday or, or this weekend the two games against Nashville, but it's challenging their back end. But it's also, it's a good opportunity for Julian Breezewa and John Cooper and the coaching staff to see what they've got. What can Andreas Borgman bring you? He had a pretty good mm-hmm. first three games. His game Saturday was pretty rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he would tell you that too, that he didn't play very well on Saturday. You know, what does he have? Cal Foot is getting increased playing time right now in, in some different roles because of this. And, and he's, he's performing pretty well. He's progressing. You know, he's a young defenseman. He's still going to make lots of mistakes. But if, if there's one piece that they need to work on, if, if there's possible at the trade deadline, is how do you get a backup defenseman? But the other part of it is, because it's money out for money in, who are you taking off this roster? You That's know, right. Are you messing up the chemistry with it, too? When you added Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman last year, and then you signed Zach Bogosian, you didn't give up anything off your active roster. You added to your roster. You didn't subtract anything. So... The other part is, is okay, you want to bring in a depth defenseman. What are you giving up? Mm-hmm. And that that's the tricky part where, you know, Julian Breesball has said he doesn't expect to make any moves at the trade deadline, but they're always looking and always, you know, if there's something out there, they'll explore it. But the, the cap challenges this year with them make it very difficult. Yeah. Well, I, again, let's see what they do coming back off this little break. I think you'll see a different hockey team. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Brian asks, do you view last year as more of year zero for Jeff Scott in the USF Bulls? No spring, lack of consistency for practices, games canceled, move, as well as the challenges with player lineups due to COVID and contact tracing this past fall? Well, listen, um, it'd be nice if if everybody thought it was year zero, but unfortunately they keep score. And they also uh, put a record next to your name as a head coach. And that record shows they had exactly one win, and it wasn't against a Power 5 school. So, listen, there were other programs, you know, Mike Norvell and, and others that had to, uh, you know, withstand the same circumstances. There's there's nothing anyone could do about it. And did it did it hurt the the, the, the young programs, the ones, 
you know, trying to input their way of, of doing things and evaluate players and put in their offense and their defense. Absolutely. Um, there's no question. It, it, it was, you know, much better if you're Nick Saban in Alabama and, and you've got that program rolling, roll tide. Um, and, and, and you kind of know, you know, exactly what you're going to do. But I, I do think that Jeff Scott will tell you he learned a lot. Um, and he didn't have, the answers and how could he? He, hadn't, he had not been a head coach at this level. Um, so, you know, th- there's a lot of things that are unique to USF that I'm sure he had at Clemson uh, that he didn't have at his disposal here. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things he would do different. And, you know, as a result, and, and I don't know that there's a cause-effect relationship, but they didn't win many games. A lot of players went in the transfer portal. Um you know, you talked about the spring game the other day. It seems like they have some some good depth and some good players at the quarterback position, and that's the place you need to start with any football team. I don't care whether you're talking about youth league on through high school and into college and the pros. So I think the biggest improvement the program will make and certainly that Jeff Scott will make is between year one and year two. So let's see. But I, I don't think you just say, well, pandemic, you know, circumstances, uh, throw it out. It's not, there's no such thing as year zero. It's year one and it's one win. And, and that, that will stay with him. Let's see where he, you know, he's got, I guess he could win no games, but he's got pretty much nowhere to go, but up. Um, let's see if he can stack some and it won't be easy. We, you've talked about the schedule already. Uh, what they play, is it Florida they play the second week of the season? Or NC like State, that? at NC State, Florida, and then they Ugh. have at BYU in week four. Goodness. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough non-conference schedule. Yeah, I mean, and, and the conference ate them up a year ago. So, listen, if they can navigate that and get themselves to 500 before it's all over, maybe you could, you know, consider that a, a, a big uh, leap forward from one win. But I, I really don't think that um, – it wasn't the debut that I think he would have expected or, or anyone would have expected. So he's got to be better, and he's got to get better in a hurry. And that's just the reality with college football these days or any level, really. It's not – you know, there's very few five-year plans, you know, that get enacted. Um, you know, you're there to win. You're there to win win now, and they'll only be so patient with you. But it, I will say I, I would not necessarily wanted to be in his shoes, although he asked for the job. Um a lot of things were unforeseen. They had games canceled. They had games rescheduled. I mean, there was all sorts of those. But I think every team had to deal with that to some degree. And, you know, it, it just hit him in the first year. So let's let's see what improvement they make. But, um, but he knows he's got to get better. All right. Walker emailed us. He said, what's your opinion on the NHL referee Tim Peel being fired by the NHL a month before he was to retire because of the hot mic incident where he said he wanted to call a penalty? I find it interesting as in the NHL, there are two sets of rules penalties, those in the regular season and those in the playoffs where it seems league mandated, they swallow the whistles. seems a little hypocritical that the leagues probably have unwritten guidelines about how and when to call penalties, but this guy gets caught because of a technical screw up and he is a bad guy. It would be interesting to hear Tom Jones's thoughts on this as well. I'll ask Tom about it. It's a great topic for later this week. And we're going to have Tom as we usually do, I hope. Um, you know, I, I love this question and, and and the whole incident, I think, kind of brings to light um, what we all know, uh, that that it, it's a, it, you know, the business is 
involves humans. And that means you bring all of that, you know, to the table, all your emotions, uh, feelings, biases, what like, and we'd like to think that referees, umpires, you know, are, you know, totally subjective or objective, I'm sorry. And, you know, they, they try to call it the way they see it, right. Balls and strikes. That's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the best job I can for both sides. I'm not, I don't have a, a, you know, I don't have a dog in the race. I'm, I'm trying to be completely impartial when it comes to my decisions and, 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 you know, my rulings. But the reality is, is that it's a human business. And, you know, I've always, I've always said this, like if, if you're the guy on the sideline as a head coach, that's, that's just, you know, dropping bad language on, 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 on the side judge all day long and the referee you do that enough, you get a reputation in, in the NFL or other leagues. You're not going to get benefit of the doubt, and it doesn't surprise me. And I'm not, I'm not saying in this instance Tim Peel had a reason to to want to call a penalty on somebody. Maybe he did in his own mind. It was wrong, and he, he's paying the ultimate price for it. But it's a human business. I realized this one time it, it, years ago. I, I covered. I believe it was an NFL game in Miami. Yeah, I think it was. And I just happened to uh, to be at an airport and going back home. And I didn't know this, but one of the officials, and I don't, I don't remember, I don't think it was the referee, but it was one of the officials on the crew that had called the game. Um, I was looking at a newspaper, and there were photos, and we were on the plane together, and there were photos of, of the game. And in one of the photos, you could see an official and like anybody that, you know, wants to see themselves or, you know, see what's in the, in the picture. If he's in the picture, he he wanted me, he wanted me to, to, you know, let him look at the newspaper and say, Hey, let me see that. I think, I think that's me, you know, let me, let me, and, and all it did was reaffirm my, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, but all it did was reaffirm my suspicions. Like, you know what? They're just like everybody else, you know? Um, they do a job, uh, they're visible in games, they're evaluated, you know, you hope they're invisible, that that's the best thing you can say, but they're not. And they have emotions like everybody else. And I, I think we're naive to think that like, who was it in the NBA? Uh, uh, was it Donahue? Was, yeah, who was Tim it? Donahue. Yep. Tim Donahue. I think we're naive to think he was the only guy in the NBA. No, the only guy in major North American sports history as a referee or an umpire that ever had a betting interest in a game or ever. And I'm not saying they're all gambling on games. My point is you bring all your human frailties and, and good and bad to the job and not, you know, just like not every journalist is a good guy or an objective guy or a good reporter. The same is true in all fields, including, professional sports including refereeing and umpiring there are there are some bad dudes and there are guys that are better than others um it's true about policemen it's true about any occupation so i i'm not totally surprised it's it's always shocking to hear it you know like like tim peel in an open mic i think he got what he i think he got what he deserved i i and this this thing about the unwritten rule and it is just that i don't think that they hold a conference call you know with the NHL commissioner before the playoffs and say, you know, guys, remember 
don't call as many interference or as many cross checks or as many tripping. I mean, I just think, again, it's human nature. I think officials realize that the importance of those games when you, and it's true in the NFL, when you get further, uh, although Kansas city will tell you, it's not true. And the way the, the Super Bowl was officiated, they seem to call everything, but, you know, I, I do think that, that they want the players to determine the outcome. I don't think mm-hmm. they want to be, you know, viewed as that guy that, you know, didn't throw the interference penalty against, you know, the Saints opponent Vikings when it was clearly interference or whatever. I, I mean, they don't want to be the story. They they want to be mm-hmm. they want to be fair. They want to referee the game or umpire the game. I think that's that's just human nature. And also when you get to the postseason, this notion of of swallowing whistle. I think it's more prevalent to me, in my opinion, in hockey than anywhere else, because I don't understand how it's a penalty, you know, during the regular season. I mean, you can say that about holding, I guess, in the NFL, but my goodness, uh, you know, certain teams play a certain way. And if you're going to allow them to be clutched and grabbed and, and, and have to play a, a totally different game in the postseason, that hurts that team, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I think, it, to me, it's more obvious in hockey than some of the other sports, but I get why they do it. And again, I think I think it's human nature. I think it's you know you you want the teams to determine the outcome of games, but during the regular season, uh, they call it differently. But this was a bad one, and it was it's and it was funny is for years, you know, you've heard Phil Esposito <laughs> make fun of these guys. What do you call him, Tim Banana Peel? Well, he did the game, the Lightning game, right before he went to that Nashville game. Oh wow. And Tim wow. was calling him banana peel then. Yeah. Or Phil was, yeah. <laughs> well, Phil's right. And Phil played a lot of hockey and he's he got close to a lot of officials, I'm sure. He knows. He knows guys mm-hmm. have access to grind, whether it's against coaches or players. I just think it's a it's a human business. Look, John Gruden gave a lot of guys grief and still does. And I I I in fact I'm I'm sure that they had their fill of him a lot of times. And I'm sure mm-hmm. he did not help them with, you know, being one of the more penalized teams in the league every year. I wonder with the Tim Peel thing, and there are a couple of things. One, he was not fired by the NHL. He was set to retire in a month. They've suspended him, which means okay. he's getting paid. He's getting pension. He's They did not fire him. And, and maybe because he was retiring in a month, it made it a lot easier. Because, one, they didn't have to fight with the, the referees union. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's always those kind of things, too. So by suspending him, it, it kind of – because he was retiring in a month, it goes away, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, as far as a employment problem. Gotcha. I always wonder the context of this. We heard his line, and, you know, he said, hey, I wanted to call a penalty since the first period. But what was mm-hmm. the rest of the context in the conversation and everything else? Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and we don't know that. We may never know that. He could be second-guessing himself, to be honest with Like, if you're just yeah. t- talking about it without context, he could be saying, hey – I was slow to the trigger. I should have called, uh, you know, this holding penalty or, or interference mm-hmm. earlier, and I didn't. And I keep, and I'm just, I'm not for whatever reason, I'm not blowing my whistle. I feel like I'm, I'm a second behind. And he could have been, he could have been admonishing himself. I don't think yeah. that's the case, by the way. But it's possible without context. How do you know what he meant? Right, and and I'm maybe just a bad official who literally was trying to call a penalty on them because he wanted to. I could I, have been, not, could well I'm be. Not, I'm not defending him. I'm saying though. One line picked up by a hot mic on the ice isn't the full context of everything. Right. You know, and the other thing is, and, and I hate it in hockey and all the other sports, that the playoffs are different than the regular season mm-hmm. because of, you know, they allow more to go. But 
the one thing that players always talk about is I don't care how you call the game, call it consistently. Right. Right. In, 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 the, in the ref's defense, it's a lot easier to call consistency if you call a lot less penalties. That's true, too. If you're going to allow more go. It, because you call this one Nicky Knack penalty, but you don't call mm-hmm. another one. And, and it's that consistency players always say that they want, you know. And so I'm not justifying because I, I, I wish they wouldn't do that. I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, the NHL is trying to increase eyeballs and increase fans of the sport. Mm-hmm. So why, when you come to the playoffs, do you want to play a brand of hockey that scores less goals, features your star players less because they're being held, they're being grabbed, they're being interfered with, et cetera? Wouldn't you want to increase that in the playoffs? Wouldn't you want more power plays in the playoffs? Not not just to have a power play. I mean, let it be a, an actual penalty. But, I, you know, if I'm a league, I want to feature my stars at this point. I want Alex Ovechkin shooting those one-timers or Steven Stamkos. I want mm-hmm. Kucherov being creative. I don't want them being held. I don't, I, you know, I want more offense in the playoffs. I want it to be fair. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying call penalties just to call penalties. Mm-hmm. But why? But swallowing the whistles to me hurts your game at a time when the most eyeballs are on it. The most potential new fans may be watching. I don't watch hockey, but the playoffs are on. Let me see what's going on. And maybe they get into it. And, and so I, that's the one thing I've never understood. But from an official standpoint, I get it's kind of. I can be more consistent, and particularly when it matters most, the playoffs, if I call less, if I only call the obvious ones. Yeah, no, all that makes sense to me. And and um, having said that, uh, you know, he probably got what he deserved in the end, which is take, they took him off the ice. We'll end with this one here. We've uh, gone kind of long here, but uh, John asked, the Deshaun Watson situation is a huge question mark right now. If the league finds enough credible evidence on their own, can you speculate how severe his suspension would be? So many women have come forward. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a tough one to even speculate on because, you know, I think Deshaun deserves the right to uh, have his attorney look into these allegations and que- question the witnesses. He, he says that he has evidence that one is, is not being truthful. I'll just say this. Uh there seems to at least a, a couple things. One, I think we need to listen to victims or alleged victims when they say they have been victimized. I, I think the reason why a lot of these cases are not brought uh, criminally is because there is a, especially when it involves a high-profile athlete, actor, journalist, you name it. Um, I, I think that that there is a a rush to, to sort of, uh, blame the alleged victim or or you know, you know, right away, um, you know, try to cast dispersions on their motives and, 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 and such. And we, I think we made a mistake in this country. This is my personal belief that, that we don't, you know, we don't take them maybe as, as, I don't know, not serious is in the word, but, but they go through a lot. If you go, if you go and, and file a criminal complaint, uh, you know, get ready to have your life uh, and all of it you know, exposed for, for any other things that you have done, um, rightly or wrongly. Uh, it's just part of the, the defense, but in any case, this is a civil court trial. Um, you know, the, the attorney that represents these women, uh, you know, basically solicited for more potential clients after he had one or several 
and said he suspected there were more and to call him and he got lots more. I think they're up to 20 now or something like that. But it's disturbing in its scope, in its number. Uh, it, it, it is disturbing in that they, they seem to, uh, and some, some, you know, we don't know their names in, in many cases, but there seems to be a pattern of, you know, at least as they're described in their, in their lawsuits of, of Deshaun, uh, contacting them and asking them if they're comfortable with certain types of massages. And then of course, I won't get into the, the details of what he's accused of, of doing. Um, but it's disturbing. It's, uh, it's it's not first of all, and I don't I don't have the answer to this question. And I've covered the NFL a long time. The NFL will pretty much provide you with almost any kind of treatment you think you need, including the massages, including physical therapy, um, all of that. But they like to do it within the confines of their training staff. You know, they spend millions of dollars, literally, uh, on recovery. Uh, you know, the, the Bucks have done this in particular, uh, you know, they don't spare any expense, much less for a franchise quarterback, you know, to, to, to solicit outside female, uh, massages and this sort of thing. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the norm in the league. Um, not saying it doesn't happen. I, I just don't know. And I think it's a bad look. And what, regardless of whether there's any criminal charges that will ever be filed, they may never be, just remember this. <clears throat> um, Jameis Winston got three games. Uh, and for something that he refuted uh, vigorously and tried to defend himself, and that was uh, allegedly, you know, doing something inappropriate to an Uber driver. Um, and it was just him and the Uber driver. There wasn't anybody else that witnessed you know, what, what she alleged. And yet they thought, you know, when the NFL did its own investigation and they looked at the, they looked at the evidence or they looked at the complaints and some of the circumstances around that time and that day uh, and what had occurred, uh, they found her complaint credible and they, they suspended him for conduct uh, detrimental, or I guess it was uh, the personal conduct policy. They, they say he violated it. Because you're held to a higher standard, and that's the thing. You're you're in the NFL. This is a this is an employer. This is a privilege, much less a quarterback who's a leader of your football team. You know how do you how do you put yourself in these situations? And again, I don't know. None of us know, right? I mean, Deshaun has one view of things. These women supposedly have another view. We'll let the courts or the civil courts decide. But rest assured, he's in trouble from this standpoint. The league is going to make a determination, not of guilt or innocence, but of whether he violated the personal conduct policy. If his decisions, um, you know, cast not just himself, but the Houston Texans, the National Football League, in a bad light. And it, it appears that it may. Um, so, you know, if you were thinking of trading for Deshaun Watson, the first question you have to ask yourself, aside from the compensation, is, is he going to be available? Is he going to be a guy that, you know, that we're going to have for 16, 17 games. Um, you don't know that. Uh, you know, it could be next year before any of this is resolved. But this is a <clears throat> this is a problem for Deshaun Watson. It, and it's a problem now for the Houston Texans who, you know, have said all along they don't want to trade him, while at the same time you have to believe that they've been listening, even if they maybe haven't been answering some of those calls. But there's there were certainly a lot of 
teams and probably still are that would like to have Deshaun Deshaun as his as their quarterback. But this is this is messy and and you know the number is disturbing. Um and I don't know where it's going, but I, I don't my experience is it's not gonna it, it's not gonna be something that, that goes, you know, unpunished or ignored by the National Football League in the end. I think I think he's looking at, at potentially missing some time and I don't know how that's gonna be proven or disproven at this point, but like I said, just look at the Jameis Winston case and I realize that he came into the league, you know, uh, with a civil suit that he that he was he was found not criminally liable for, but in civil civil court, um, there was some kind of settlement, um, you know, with what happened at Florida State. And I think that was a factor, you know, in the league ad- administering punishment to him, you know, when he was accused of doing something again. So I don't know you had that pattern with Deshaun um, prior to coming to the Texans or even prior to this past year or whenever this these things occurred. But I still think it's it's problematic. All right, fantastic questions. We went kind of long with the mailbag, but you don't have to wait for a mailbag. You can send us questions anytime you want. Just uh, text uh, text them to me, at NFL Stroud. You can reach us on Twitter, at SportsDayTB, um, or you can reach me on Twitter, uh, at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Uh, later in the week, we'll have uh, Tom Jones, I'm sure, my former radio partner, longtime columnist, now with the Pointer Institute, will join us. And Mark Topkin as... Opening day, just two days away for the Tampa Bay Rays, the defending American League champions. How about that? Can't wait. So for Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.